Hello and welcome to Sanford Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. Today, I'm excited to welcome Shai Riznik. Shai, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dago. Thanks. Great. Yeah, please just go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, I'm Shai Riznik. I help business companies save time and money by integrating uh, cost-effective testing into their workflow without stopping development. So that's what I'm currently focusing. And I'm doing it using training programs and courses and coaching and consulting and all the stuff that the company needs in order to do the total transformation. Okay. Great, great. And that's like super important from another aspect. We are also trying to help companies do the same with supporting them with, you know, tools and yeah, some practices like CI and CD practices. But I'm curious to find out how did you figured out that it's such an important thing that you want to focus on? How did your career led you to doing what you're doing right now? Okay, awesome. So I will tell you, I have a website called ahires.io, which is going to get a newer version with all the details inside, but currently it's a, <laughs> it's a landing page. But yeah, you can reach me there or at chaihires.io if you are interested. So my backstory, how did I get into this topic? So I started as a normal developer working at a nine to five job. And I learned about this thing called testing, but I thought to myself, I think it was like back in 2006 or seven, something like that, where I said to myself, okay, yeah, it looks interesting, but I don't have time now. You know, I need to develop stuff and I need to still learn like the frameworks and stuff. So I will get to that at one point. And a few years later, I was working in a company and they had like uh, crazy deadlines there and they kept giving me more and more tests because for some reason they counted on me okay to deliver fast and at the same time me and a couple of friends started like to work on a side project that we want to become a startup or like to raise funds for and so i was working i didn't have kids back in the day and i wasn't married so i had time although i was with my uh, wife, which was my girlfriend, but I had time to, you know, I said to her, hey, let me invest all this time now so we'll be rich and we'll, you know, succeed. And then, then we'll go out, you know, and have fun <laughs> to dinner and stuff like that. So I spent all of my time, you know, investing in development and trying to improve myself as a developer and trying to meet all the deadlines, both of the day-to-day job and the after-hours startup work. So I was working like crazy. And what I realized is that I was working in the nine to five job. I was working on a big feature, you know, with workflows and trees and all that like complexity on the UI. And I got to a point where every time I introduce a change, I create like, I don't know how many bugs. And every time I try to fix a bug, I create four more bugs. And they kept like asking me for estimations, like, you know, in how much time can you finish this feature? And I kept like uh, saying, oh, like, you know, two weeks or something like that in this sprint and the sprint ended and I was like, did you finish it? No, I was stuck like fixing bugs. And then we got like investors wanted to invest in our startup, but they wanted to see the product, you know, the first version. I had bugs with that version. And I was like trying to juggle all the bugs, trying to figure out what the hell do I do? And it kept like postponing like two sprints, three sprints. And I ended up, exhausted and frustrated and was out of answers, basically. And actually, it reached a point 
because of all of this pressure, I started like eating bad and not exercising. <laughs> and I got to a place where I actually like walk up the stairs and felt dizzy and sat down and almost passed out. And it was like, I didn't know what's wrong with me. So I went to the hospital and they did a bunch of checks and didn't find anything wrong. And the doctor said, they're like, hey, you might have a panic attack or something like that. And I said, panic attack? Like, I didn't know what's a panic. So I looked and, and it was what I had. Like, I had trouble breathing and all that stuff because of all of this pressure. So I was worn out, you know, very, like, nervous and stressed. And I remember, like, saying in the retrospect after one of the sprints, saying, like, I don't know <laughs> what to do. <laughs> like, I don't have any solution. So I was like a flex guy back in the day of flex, flash development and such. And one of the Java developers looked at me and asked me after the retrospect, like, why aren't you writing tests? You know, it will help you like, you know, scale. And I was like, first of all, I don't know how to do that. Second of all, it looks like a waste of time. You know, I don't have time to finish the feature. So how do I have time like to write the test? Right. And he said, yeah, but it's like, you know, gave me a good metaphor. It's like you're saying, okay, you need to walk like six hours to get to your destination, right? It will take you six hours. Or you can learn how to drive and then get there in 30 minutes. But you don't want to learn how to drive. You rather walk all the way, you know, and maybe it will get longer and longer and such. So I said, okay, that makes sense. How much time do you think like it will take me to write like a simple test or something like that? He said, okay, if you just started out maybe like two days just to write like a simple unit test, you know, just to check like a pure function or something like that. One thing. I went to my manager and asked them, like, I think that this is the way out. Like, you know, I don't see another way out. I need to like, you know, stop and spend like two days, you know, trying to figure this out. And he said, okay. Fortunately, so I went through the documentation like crazy, <laughs> trying to understand. So I installed like Flex Unit plugin to the Flex Builder, the editor, and I wrote my first test. And I remember, like in Flex, you used to wait like for two minutes on every compilation just to check out that it's you know compiled, and then you went to the browser and checked all the things. So. I ran the test and it took it like one millisecond, I don't know, something like one second and gave me like the green bar of like, hey, this code works. And I was like, ah, it was like, a, you know, a ha <laughs> moment, like an epiphany. Erica moment. Yeah. And I ran to the other room screaming like, hey, it worked. You know, it took like one second and I was so happy and delighted. I had lots of motivation to go deeper and to study it and to learn. And the more I learned, the more I saw. And I remember the first time it actually caught a bug, but not in the code that I'm currently working on, but on another code because I changed some shared code somewhere. And all of a sudden, another test broke. And I was like, what? I then realized the impact of like, hey, it just stopped me from pushing more bugs and having complaints from the QA or the users without me having to go like through this workflow <laughs> of like wasting time and stopping what I'm doing afterward to try and fix like the emergency because it just, you know, saved me all this time in one click of a button and I got hooked immediately. And the more I got deeper, the faster I could go. So that was like how I got introduced to testing and why I like 
you know, started to fall in love with that. So after that, I finished <laughs> working on the feature and I started implementing like and learn about like techniques like TDD or test-driven development. And, and the startup, fortunately, we raised money and I quit my job and went to work as the technical lead on the startup as a co-founder and started working on that. But I did the same mistake <laughs> now as a manager, you know, I said like, let's move fast. And, you know, we'll write tests afterwards, right? We'll write tests like when we get to the first milestone or the second milestone, then we'll worry about the test. And we reached the first milestone and such, but we again went to the same, I call it quicksand, because you come to a point where you want to move faster, but the faster you move, the more bugs you create and the lower you sink in the quicksand, right? So we went to this place and I was like so into testing, but I didn't implement it on my own, like, you know, startup. So then I started like, okay, I, I told my co-founder, hey, I've been here before. We need to add tests. Okay. It will help us. And he argued with me because he didn't understand, like, you know, he wasn't a technical guy and didn't understand why do I need to take like, uh, I don't know, two weeks now and work on something invisible that doesn't like bring value immediately. But fortunately, I managed to convince him and we started like having tests and we could like grow faster. And actually, technically wise, it was a very successful. We had like a great product, but we learned the hard way, the importance of a lean startup because we didn't do a lot of market research or user, you know, interviews and stuff like that. So we spent a lot of <laughs> money and time building the wrong product. So no matter how good it was, so then we had to close down the startup. So I then joined a normal day-to-day -day workforce first as a developer and then started being a consultant, trying to take all of the lessons learned by my you know, entrepreneurship experience and managing experience and also a developer experience and try to merge it all to help companies you know, migrate. So I started like working with JavaScript. I did the transition in the startup from Flash to JavaScript. And I started helping companies move from Flash to JavaScript. And back then, the hot framework was AngularJS. It was like in 2012. So I started doing lectures on that and helping companies migrate, like big companies, enterprise companies migrate their uh, code to Angular from other uh, technologies. And then I started a group in Israel for JavaScript developers called JavaScript Israel, which now is the biggest JavaScript community group here with lots of great people helping each other. But at first, I didn't know anyone. I just wanted to ask questions, but there weren't like a group, a friendly group to do that. So I created it and I started like doing talks myself because I didn't know anyone. So I started like, you know, just sharing my knowledge and my journey and such. And over time, I got invitations to speak abroad. And I started submitting also to conferences and I started speaking at the world's largest Angular conferences, for example, like NGConf and Angular Connect and such. And my hobbies, regardless, were always like doing comedy, like an improv or improvisation and stand-up. So I started thinking maybe I can integrate the two things like teaching and improv and, you know, comedy to make the stuff that we learn 
more interesting and more like you know entertaining so i started doing that in the lectures in the big like conferences and sometimes it was like a row sometimes it was like a stage play sometimes it's a rap song every time it was something different so people started knowing me as the you know crazy angular guy who teach like in a weird way but a way that makes you like remember the stuff better so I took all of this and that's where I decided to start doing like online courses about angular and when I did that I started seeing like I was surveying people and people kept asking the same thing they wanted like material about testing because they kept struggling with testing and I said oh testing you know that's a subject close to my heart and you know, the reason I chose Angular, by the way, is because it was the first JavaScript framework that emphasizes testing as a first-class citizen. So I started creating more content about testing, and then I decided to move full-on into testing. And when I did that, I realized that the way that we are learning how to test and actually implementing the strategies that are like 20 years old by now or even longer are not producing the wanted results, especially when the company grows. At first, I thought it was only about confidence, right? We want the confidence to ship our code. But then when I started like implementing different strategies, I saw that it's not only about confidence, it's also about efficiency because I can have the largest end-to-end -end test suite in the world, but it will take like five hours to run. So I will get all the confidence that I need. But I won't be able to move faster because I will need to have, wait five hours every time. And it costs a lot and such. So I started like thinking about how can I find the balance between the confidence and the efficiency? Like how can I find the metric there that represent the optimum between them? And the only word that I came up was like cost effective. How cost effective is using this testing strategy compared to the other testing strategy or using this tool compared to this tool, you know, and actually doing experiments and measuring it. And, you know, for example, in Angular, the common wisdom was to write tests for the DOM, like compiling the components and actually rendering them and testing, you know, stuff on the DOM. But from experience and also from experiments, we saw that it's not effective. When you reach a certain amount of tests, your test suite become like six minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, and such. So a better strategy was to use class testing, which just instantiates the class of the component because in Angular, it's separate from the template, not like in React. And then you could just write the test for the method to so lose a bit of confidence, but you gain more efficiency. And that way you get the optimum. That's just one very specific example about Angular, but... I started applying that logic to other testing strategies, which are not Angular specific, for example, end-to-end, -end, okay? So developers. Now there is a shift left in the QA and development communities where you know developers are being expected to write more tests, which is good. But if you just throw at the developers, like, hey, write a bunch of end-to-end -end tests for your feature, you end up with a test of five hours, <laughs> okay? And developers also, instead of working and spending their time in a more cost-effective way on building features or developing software, they are wasting time on running around after tests and trying to fix them and trying to like figure out what the root cause of this failure and time-wasting tasks that are not contributing to the business. So I started like 
trying to figure out, okay, what's a better testing strategy for developers in terms of end-to-end? Not just saying, oh, you need to write end-to-end tests because it's vague in general, but there are better strategies like, for example, smoke testing, which is just writing the critical path tests and not just for every feature. And that way you get the most confidence and the most efficiency, the most test-effective way. That's the name that I came up for the cost-effective metric. Cost-effective is too general, so I would call it test-effective. And then I started like putting everything that I'm doing under this term, test-effective development, because I'm focused on developers. Although a lot of QA automation people and developers are like coming to my courses as well and wanting to learn how to write the test. So it's kind of another market that I didn't think I'm addressing, but apparently I am. Semaphore now understands your tests. With the new test reports feature, your team now has a unified report of all the parallel jobs in your CI/CD pipeline. Get a single test report for the whole pipeline, see filtered and skip tests on the test dashboard, and find the slowest tests in your test suite. Learn more at semaphoreci.com slash test reports. And if you have like a client or you know, a company approaching you and they already have that, what you describe as like very inverted testing pyramid where over the years, they have gathered so many very expensive end-to-end tests, you know, acceptance tests, integration tests, however people call them and whatever they do there actually. But in your terminology, they are not just test effective. They are not cost effective. Right. From that point on, Do you advise that they rework a part of their test suite or just embrace a new practice going forward and then eventually over time tackle that rottening (laughs) test suite? (laughs) So every consultant would say it depends, right? (laughs) Depends on the company and the size and such, but, you know, it starts with an analysis first. Okay. For example, how much time does it take? How much money does it cost the company to run this test with every time? Do the developers need to run them or does it run only in the CI? Are the developers writing that or the QA automation is in charge on that? Like the answer to these questions will affect the conclusion of what should the company do. But the ideal case, I think the most test effective way in a sense is to have the developers focus on writing a combination of <laughs> what I call a multi-action test and single-action test, but like in the most test-effective strategies. And I will explain, okay, what are like single-action, multi-action, why I'm not saying like integration tests, you know, uh, unit tests and such. So I have a problem with the terms integration and unit tests, okay? Although this is the common way, and again, the common wisdom, but I feel that they are overloaded because, for example, if you read, you know, the Goose book, the Growing Object Oriented Guided by Test book, you will see that integration tests are referred to as like external integration tests, stuff that you test your code against code that you don't own. But integration tests, if you look at Wikipedia, it says, you know, that it's like writing something in integration, like, you know, several things together, right? And unit tests, for example, even if you go to, you know, the blogs or read the Martin uh, Fowler's definition on that, you'll see solitary and 
or like you know mockist and classist uh, approaches to unit tests, which basically one means isolated tests and the other means integrated tests, like integrating several classes together as one unit. Again, this is an attitude type of thing and an approach, but it complicates the term. So I started looking at it and trying to use a different angle to think about these terms from the test-effective lenses and trying to think in first principles, taking inspiration (laughs) from Elon Musk, not that I'm as (laughs) close to this alien. But I take inspiration from a lot of things and I took inspiration of like first principle thinking and trying to divide the unit test. What is a unit test and what are all the dimensions of testing in order to deconstruct them and rebuild them differently in order to find the most test effective way of approaching a certain situation. So for example, I realized that there are several dimensions to testing, one of them being boundaries, which is what I just said, like isolated versus integrated. Another one is action scope. For example, do I test just one action in a test? For example, calling a method or clicking a button? Or do I test like multi-actions, like, you know, filling up the form, clicking a button, going to this page, da, 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 da. So this is a multi-action test, okay? And sometimes people are mixing those up without even like knowing if this is the right approach or not. And what is more cost-effective? Is it single action, multi-action, to which situation? These are the questions that I dealt with and compared to the scale of the program, what's the better approach? And another dimension, for example, is the subject under test. Like I mentioned, like the dome or the class, should I instantiate this or that? Should I, you know, write test for the method? What's the subject? You know, what's that dimension? So for example, in terms of unit integration, I started seeing that you can have like single action tests, which you test only one thing, but they could be either isolated or integrated? And what are the benefits or downsides to each approach? And I realized that it has a lot to do with the size of the app that we are testing, the app under test. For example, are we dealing with a library or like a shared component library that we are testing? This will be a whole different set of tests compared to the monolith of glue code, I call it, you know, that ties up all their reusable components or reusable modules together, which will be a different type of test and what is more test effective in this way. So I came up with better terms, in my opinion. For example, a small app or like a microservice or something like that, you can imagine it as a small room, like a room in an apartment store or something like that, just a room. And if you have all of your, let's say, modules there like classes or like files (laughs) you know as boxes you can see all the boxes and if you want to test them you want to test them in a single action like integrated way and that way you get the most test effectiveness because you get the most efficiency and the most confidence from this type of test because you're not isolating so you're getting like the real values and all that stuff cool so that's like the small room metaphor with the boxes but what if you have a stadium you know, and you have lots of boxes far away from you. That's like the monolith, okay, example, right? Like a stadium. So I thought about like, how can I like find a metaphor for the test? And then I thought about like light. If I need to shed a light on these boxes in the small room, I could use a flashlight and hit all the boxes at once. And this will be like the integrated way. And if I'm in a stadium, a flashlight wouldn't help me 
and could I like, you know, reach everything together. So I need to switch strategy and just like, you know, maybe point a laser pointer to one of the far boxes. So as then I thought about the name, okay, flashlight test and laser test. So depending on the size of the app, I can use different strategies and would know what they mean. So for example, laser tests are always isolated, always, always isolated. They're not partially integrated, meaning you mock or you fake some of the dependencies and you leave the others like as is, you know, you always fake everything that you can with the exception of if it's like a super pure external, you know, dependency or something like that. And the integrated, you integrate all the way to the, you know, Ajax layer or, you know, communication layer or remote layer. And on the end-to-end side, I started like looking at strategies like smoke testing, where you test only the critical path. So then you need all this context to understand because it's a complicated subject. It's not like, a, hey, Right, you know, I saw like blog posts or tweets or something like that that's saying like in one sentence, you should write mostly integration tests. Great, okay. Now when my test suite takes like, you know, five hours, what should I do with this sentence, okay? So it's a more complicated topic, but for some reason, I'm super passionate about this topic. So I (laughs) I really like love doing the research and such. So to answer your question from a while ago, the ideal situation is the developers writing either smoke and laser tests or smoke and flashlight tests, depending on the situation. Sometimes it can change it between one, like, you know, monorepo of apps and libraries, right? But the developer should write the smoke test. If you have, if you're suffering with a long test suite, which the developers need to maintain, I would say try to identify the critical path of each of the entire app or product and each of the root features and minimize, for example, if the developers are maintaining them, minimize those and just extract the smoke test out of your test suite and let the developers maintain that. If you have a QA team, let them worry about the end-to-end test, the full test suite, because this is their job, you know, not 24-7, you know, hopefully, but the nine-to-five job, right? The developers need quick feedback on only the most important path like to test that everything is configured correctly or assembled correctly in their end-to-end. But they want to, you know, focus on the more like flashlight or laser test or single action test because they drive it, their design to a better co-design as well. And that's the best case scenario in terms of the development point of view. In terms of the QA, I read QA books and stuff, but I never been a QA you know, developer or QA automation or manual QA. And that's probably maybe a topic for the future, but you know, you have other methodologies on how to maintain, you know, that. But if you're talking from a development point of view, the developers usually cost the highest in a company. They're the most like expensive employees in a company. So you want to make sure that their time is the most cost-effective time that can be. And maybe separate the need to have the full end-to-end suite running only after the smoke tests finished running. And that way you save you know, the five hours of time. This is like a practice from QA. It's not like something I invented, but I would like at least run the smoke test before uh, the full end-to-end suite. So that I would have done in a general use case, but like I said, it depends on the specific conditions. Semaphore now understands your tests. With the new test reports feature, your team now has a unified report of all the parallel jobs in your CI/CD pipeline. 
get a single test report for the whole pipeline, see filtered and skipped tests on the test dashboard, and find the slowest tests in your test suite. Learn more at semaphorecicom slash test reports. As you said, it's not an easy topic. <laughs> there are so many variables, size of the team, nature of the application, maybe even the industry. Is it like a regulated industry where everything has to be, you know, compliant and so on, or it's somewhere where more freedom is just fine? Yeah, like in insurance and tax and banking and all like managed rancher, you don't want any slips, you know, between the cracks. Yeah, yeah. You want to make sure you're fully covered, but sometimes you have like the settings or, you know, other places you want to identify the most critical stuff and to make sure you cover them as much as you can. But the other stuff, which are less critical, you want to use the most cost-effective or the test-effective strategy that you can do and not like waste unnecessary time on that. And can you give us an overview about your services and when you come in usually? when you're talking with the companies and what are maybe some of the typical relationships that you have with the clients? Sure. So when I started, I started with like focusing on individual developers and trying to train and give the knowledge necessary in order to get from zero knowledge to a place where I can, you know, feel comfortable writing my test even in a TDD way, in a test-driven way, where I write the test before the code and driving my code design that way. So that's where I started. So I started with like courses and trying to record my knowledge and to scale it in a video form. And when I started doing that, I got approaches from companies that wanted me to help them training the entire team because they realized that, you know, Stronger is the weakest link in the chain. And if you won't train the entire team, you'll get some of the people writing tests and some of the people not writing tests. And, you know, the first group is running after the second group trying to fix their tests for them. And so it's not efficient as well. So you want everyone on board. And that requires a different type of thinking because now you get to the world of, first of all, the business psychology, okay? Because now we need to convince the managers who are not technical to invest time in the entire team transformation. And it's not easy. And also like how to help the company or the team not stopping what they're doing for a couple of months and just like, you know, adding tests to everything, but actually integrate it into their, you know, day-to-day. So I started doing that. I started like working with team leads in smaller companies like C-levels and such, helping them and coaching them on how to start, like how to measure what they currently have how to set goals to what do they want, what type of improvement and percentages. And that part was super important because that way they could like project the time save or the money save for the company. For example, if we improve the bugs to feature ratio on average in each sprint by 20%, then you can you know show how much money does it save the company. And that way you bridge the gap between the technical you know, nerds like us who talks in, uh, you know, tests and stuff like that and code to the business people who talks in numbers and money and cost effective, which is in terms of the business, not of the code and time save. So I started like doing that and we figured that it's a longer time frame, but it will help them not stop development. So I started doing that. So currently what I'm offering is a training program, which you can take as 
either an individual, so we have like developers buying their own, and we, and you can take as a team. So we have like like I said, team leads or you know CTOs and stuff buying for the entire team transformation. And you can have that the training plus the coaching and consulting, because I kept doing consulting to stay true to the code, stay with the code, not just be the educator, but actually be still a developer. But mainly I work on infrastructure and, you know, moving to uh, better architectures and tests like that. So I'm doing consultancy. Now I'm scaling up because I don't have a lot of time doing the consultancy work anymore because I have a business to manage and all that stuff. But I still do the coaching and now I start training other coaches and other people to help me with that. So those are like the three ways of getting my services currently. In the future, I have like future plans of like, you know, certification and all that cool stuff. But yeah, it's in the works. So yeah, that's the services part. In the beginning, you mentioned your site, but what are some ways of getting in touch? But also you have a number of conference talks. So I guess for those, the YouTube and just, you know, Googling your name or searching your name is the best way. But yeah, what are the other ways to get in touch? The current version of the web will change soon because first of all, I started with Angular testing specifically. So we have like an Angular masterclass for you know people who are Angular developers that want to learn how to be more test effective. But we started seeing that most of what I teach is not Angular specific. For example, I have one team who I help with their Unity code, you know, in C Sharp. And a lot of the same principles apply there as well. And we have like the end-to-end or the smoke testing courses and Cypress courses, which are not relevant to a specific framework, this and that, or they can be applied to any like company. So currently we'll see the masterclass for uh, Angular testing, but yeah, you can see on YouTube all of my other like testing lectures and all of my crazy ng-conf talks, like I mentioned before. <laughs> and once the new website will be up, you can reach through there, but you can also always hit me on Twitter or on my email, shai, S-H-A-I, at hi-res, H-I-R-E-Z, dot I-O. So that's the best way currently to reach me. And if you live in Israel, you can follow me on the street and, uh, you know, <laughs> scare the hell out of me if you meet me in the street. So <laughs> follow me on Twitter, not in the street. <laughs> great, great, great. Well, thank you, Shai. Uh, many hard lessons that you learned through your career. And yeah, I'm really glad that it got you hooked. The biggest pain point that you have detected and you kept on solving it and helping other people solve it. So yeah, that's really great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You remind me that story and I always like feel that I don't want other people to get to the, like the panic mode that I got to the panic attack and go to the hospital and all that stuff. I really, really, really want to save that from other people. So that's what keeps me up and trying to find better ways. I didn't mention the open source tools that I created and all that stuff, but that's for another episode. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can relate to that completely, especially as a young developer, that level of peace of mind that you have when you have your test suits, you know, being green or just a couple of things being red, completely different to that when you don't know where you are going, like you are walking on a minefield and, you know, you don't know what's going to blow up. Exactly. Again, thank you so much. It was very interesting and I think very useful for a lot of our listeners. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.